0: Sing great. Welcome to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. We're glad you've joined us, and we look forward to spending time again in the Word of God together. We also invite you to stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast for information about additional studies and resources. Thanks again for being with us. The judgments of God that we are reading about in advance are not aimless in nature, but in some cases are rather serving to orchestrate additional events that will ultimately bring human history to a crescendo. Pastor Phil brings this into view as he shares from Revelation chapter 16.
1: Well, Henry Morris in his commentary on Revelation said, quote: associated with these pantheistic systems was and always has been the worship of spirits. Whether these are understood as spirits of ancestors or as the spirits of trees or other natural objects, such worship is in reality the worship of demons or fallen angels. Such religions, thus, are also commonly associated with idolatry. Thus, Eastern religion, whatever specific form it may assume, in a particular time or place, is essentially the same old worship of idols which God's prophets continually condemned in the Old Testament. You know, Israel worshiped um, nature gods. They worshiped Baal, uh, who was one of the gods or the deities that they worshiped. He was a, a nature god, a fertility god. And of course, if you worship Baal, and what was so um, enticing about the worship of Baal, he, like many other fertility gods and goddesses, was worshipped through sexual orgy. And so that was very appealing to the flesh, right? Besides the fact that as you worship these fertility gods, uh, you were guaranteed by the gods, if you believed in them, that uh, you would be blessed in your crops and things, and your livestock and all would produce abundantly, and your fields and so on. But they're just demonic religions that the devil had raised up to distract people from the true worship of God. So the kings of the East coming, and God is going to, the, the blessed thing about it is, Isn't it awesome to see how God is working in nations in the East? China, India, I mean, Korea. I mean, it's incredible to see what God is doing in these Eastern countries and many others. How the gospel is spreading like wildfire. I mean, God loves these people and is saving them. But like in America, there's always going to be people in this world that are not going to want to, give, uh, to uh, give God honor. They're not going to turn their lives over to Him, even though He gives them every opportunity in the world. I mean, by this time, the gospel has been preached throughout the whole world. He's even sent angels into the world to preach the gospel, and yet men and women throughout the world have rejected it. So now there's nothing left but judgment. And the kings of the East represent the Eastern religions, basically that their nations uh, have embraced. And so they're going to be judged also. Verse 13, John said, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs or miracles, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Now, these spirits, John says, looked like frogs in form. The Jews regarded frogs as unclean and gross, as you might imagine. Um, But the Egyptians, they worshipped a frog goddess. You remember, one of the plagues poured out against Egypt was a plague of frogs. You read that, you know, you read how that God says, you know, there's going to come frogs into the land. You know, they're going to come into your houses. They're going to come into your bedchamber. They're going to be on you. They're going to be in your kneading bowls. They're going to be in your ovens. They're going to be everywhere, you know. And, and, and that was because the plagues against Egypt were poured out against each one of their gods. Those were literal frogs. These are not literal, of course. Uh, John says they are really demons, and demons that have been empowered by the devil to work miracles, to gather together to one place, the kings of the earth, for what the Bible calls here the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Now, we have already studied how that the Antichrist and false prophet have been given by the devil supernatural abilities. Turn back to chapter 13, and uh, in verse Starting in verse 12, we read, And he exercises all the authority of the first beast. Now we're talking about the false prophet has miraculous abilities like the Antichrist. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Remember, somebody tries to assassinate the Antichrist. Uh, He looks dead. The world's going to think he's dead. I don't believe Satan has the power over life and death, but he can fake it pretty effectively. And so he's going to fake a resurrection, just like the devil has always wanted to counterfeit what God does, and so now you have a satanic trinity. The devil, the Antichrist, the false prophet. The devil represents in a satanic, perverted way God the Father. Antichrist, God the Son, the false prophet, the Holy Spirit. And so the Antichrist looks like he's been killed but three days later, he's miraculously resurrected, quote-unquote. Well, this really causes the world to go bananas after this guy. I mean, they were enamored with him in, in the beginning. But this is just, I mean, this, they think this guy's God now. And he performs great signs. The Greek there is miracles, genuine miracles, so that he makes even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. So these signs, these miracles, are designed to deceive. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10: Because the people of this world, during this period of time, the earth dwellers, the unbelievers, refused to receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, the gospel. God is going to send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Definite article. It's a lie that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What did the devil tell Eve? You shall not surely die. The basis for the doctrine of reincarnation. You shall become like God. And I believe that's going to be the big lie of the Antichrist, the gospel that he is going to preach, that really, within all of us, We have the seeds of divinity. We're all God. We just have to understand that. You have to understand that you're God. You know, God is in you. You are God. It's the lie of the New Age, the lie of Hinduism. But they're going to deceive these demonic entities with miracles. They're going to deceive the nations. They're going to manipulate them and kind of maneuver them to come into a specific location to launch the final war of human history. We read about this battle all over the Scriptures. Let me just take you to a couple places. Joel 3. And I better not hear the gold trimmer on your pages separating for the first time. No pastor likes to hear that. I want to hear that. At least before you come in here, you know, shuffle a little bit. Get the pages loosened up. All right. Joel chapter 3, verse 2. God said, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and they have also, what? (laughs) Divided up my land. Our State Department better be warned. As we go into the Middle East and we encourage Israel to give up more land for peace. We are encouraging them to divide up their land more and more to appease their enemies, which they're not being appeased at all. They're just gaining more and more of a foothold from which to attack Israel. But God says, I'm going to judge those nations who divide up my land. Verse 9 Proclaim this among the nations prepare for war, wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble and come, all you nations. Now they think they're coming for one reason, but God is drawing them for another. Come, all you nations, and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Who are the nations around Israel? All the Islamic nations. It's going to affect the whole world, but primarily God has in focus all those nations that are around Israel that are seeking to destroy God's people. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow. For their wickedness is great. That's exactly the language we studied in chapter 14, which will be fulfilled in chapter 19. As the Lord gathers these nations for battle, for judgment, really. And it says He is going to cast them into the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And He is going to trample them like people trample very ripe grapes filled with juice. The blood is going to flow for 200 miles throughout the valley uh, from Israel all the way down to the desert. And um, it's going to be quite a scene. Zechariah chapter 14. And we'll just read verses 2 and 3. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravaged. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city." Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. So initially, the nations of the earth move against Jerusalem. Zechariah tells us that um, uh, later on uh, in chapter 12, I believe, verse 3, he's going to make Jerusalem a cup of trembling for all nations. And the nations are going to come. They're going to go go up against Jerusalem. They're going to start to conquer it, to take it. And then God's fury is going to rise up and he's going to begin to judge incredibly. All right, back to Revelation 16. Verse 15 says, Now, in the midst of this talk of judgment, the Lord stops and gives to that generation. And don't you know that that generation of believers, they're they're there still. I mean, they're hiding out. Uh, They're really hiding from the Antichrist, but they're around, all right? Tribulation saints. And I would imagine they're going to be really big on studying the book of Revelation, all right? And so the Lord stops, and he gives them a word of encouragement. He said, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. This is um, a gracious word of encouragement from the Lord given right before he's going to have the final angel pour out the seventh bowl to assure these believers that, look, things look pretty bad, but I haven't forgotten you, all right? I'm coming quickly. In fact, there's a beautiful kind of a parallel passage in Malachi where the prophet also um, gives words from God to the righteous in that generation who were terrified, at the Lord prophesying through Malachi the day of the Lord judgments that were coming they didn't know when they were coming for all they knew was going to happen in their day and they were terrified and the prophet stops and offers this word of encouragement from the Lord verse 16 Malachi 3 then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another it's good to speak to one another you know when you fear what the Lord is talking about as we look around you know as we look around at The prophecies being fulfilled in our day. You know, we know what's going to happen. The Lord's told us. But it's still frightening, isn't it? It's good to talk to each other, to encourage each other, you know? That, you know, the Lord is on the throne. And no matter how bad things get, we trust that it's all in His control. Things are working out according to His plan. But verse 16 then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. The Lord eavesdrops on our conversations. He loves to hear us talk about them, you know? So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. The Lord's got a little book. It's called the Book of Remembrance. And every time you guys get together and you talk about how wonderful the Lord is and how much you love him, he writes that in his book. Oh, you know... So-and-so just said the nicest things about me today, you know, and just just loving on me and just praising me. And, And the Lord writes all that down. Verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. The Lord is encouraging that generation and even this generation that I will not punish the righteous with the wicked. For those people who think the church is going through the great tribulation, look, the Lord is not going to punish the righteous with the wicked. Now, even for these tribulation saints, he has been protecting them. I'm convinced, I'm convinced that these tribulation saints have not incurred any of the judgments of God. They have been hiding from the Antichrist who's been killing them. But even when God poured out his judgments against Egypt, there were times, and, and, and we know specifically, there were times when God said his people were protected. I'm convinced that his people were protected throughout all the judgments. Remember when it said that God brought the plague of darkness on Egypt. But in Goshen, the land of the Jews, there was, there was sun, the sun was shining. Because God won't punish the righteous with the wicked. Lot was in Sodom. And God sent two angels to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah because of their immorality and sin. And so they come to Lot, who was not, he was a righteous man by faith, but by practice, I don't know what he was doing living in Sodom. But the angels came to him and said, look, you got to get out of here. We're going to bomb this place. (laughs) Oh, well, okay, great. Let me get a few things. No, now get out of here. And while he lingered, they grabbed him and, and drugged him out of the city. They said, we can't do anything until you're out of here. Because the Lord will not punish the righteous with the wicked. And so he's just encouraging his people here. Now, he said, behold, I'm coming as a thief. The word thief there always in the New Testament refers to unbelie, But it's used in a spiritual way, I'm saying. Always refers to unbelievers caught off guard by God's judgment. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. We've already read this in the course of this study, but let me refresh your memory. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting at verse 2, Paul said, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. That's judgment. It's going to come as a thief in the night for when who? They say, peace and safety. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And They shall not escape. But you, brethren... See, he's making a differentiation between unbelievers who are caught off guard by God's judgment and believers who understand the judgment of God, who have read the Scriptures, who know the things that are going to lead up to the day of the Lord's judgments. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Now, all Christians are waiting for Jesus. Listen, though, not all Christians are watching for Jesus. And there's a difference. You can be waiting for somebody, and when they come, they can catch you by surprise. But if you're watching for somebody, when they come, they won't take you by surprise. You know, all Christians are waiting for Jesus coming. Some believe he's coming in a thousand years. I've heard uh, various Christians who go to certain denominational churches, they believe in the second coming, but, oh, that's... That's way down. We, we don't. That, that could be a thousand years away. I don't think so. See, they're waiting for Jesus to return, but they're not watching. If they were watching. They'd be studying the scriptures, looking at the prophecies, comparing them with what we see going on in the news every day, and they would be saying, Hey, look, he's coming soon. Now, Paul said in, later on in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 6 and 7, Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. But let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. The implication is just because we're believers in Jesus Christ doesn't mean we can't fall asleep in the light. And in fact, many have fallen asleep in the light, in the relationship with the Lord. Paul, in Romans 13, tries to kind of wake them up. He said in verse 11 and 12 of Romans 13, And do this, knowing the time, that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Well, how do you know the night is far spent, and the day is at hand? Unless you study prophecy, right? That's why I just don't understand churches that say, we don't study prophecy, too controversial. Well, folks, you've just chopped off 27% of the Bible now. That's a big chunk, not to deal with. And Jesus indicted his generation because they could predict the weather based on the signs in the sky, the night sky or the, day, the morning sky, but they were oblivious to his coming. And the same is true today. People are, in the church, are also very ignorant, very, you know, don't know the day in which they're living. They don't don't know the times. They're not looking diligently for the return of Christ. They don't know prophecy. Well, again, back to Revelation 16, verse 15. Jesus gives a kind of a beatitude of sorts here then. Verse 15, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches. And keeps his uh, garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. What does this mean exactly? (laughs) Well, uh, Alfred Erdersheim, who is a historian, Jewish historian, uh, sheds light on this phrase by explaining that the captain of the temple made his rounds during the night to see if the guards were awake and alert. If one was found asleep, he was either beaten (laughs) or his garments were set on fire. Uh, hence the uh, phrase, rude awakening, I think, uh, <laughs> came from that. But it really describes a soldier being alert uh, and on duty. If you were a soldier in the battlefield, uh, you know, at night in your tent, you probably didn't take your uniform, your, clo- your, uh, your, your clothing off. You, you know, you didn't, I don't know if they had pajamas or whatever, but uh, you you probably didn't sleep in your skivvies, let's put it that way, because if the enemy launched a surprise attack, the last thing you wanted to do was to be, you know, undressed. You had to run outside with your sword in your hand, naked. And, and he says, you know, that, that doesn't look very good. It just it shows that you were not really prepared. You were not vigilant. You were not watching, right? And, and so the idea here is that People are are going to be caught off guard. Now, how is this possible? Are we talking here about believers or unbelievers? Well, I believe that the Bible says true believers are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And once you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, you can't take that clothing off. I don't believe so. In other words, once you're saved, you're saved forever. The question is, are you really saved? Are you really clothed with the righteousness of Christ? Because if you are, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And, you know, you're going to be watching. You know, I say that there are Christians in different churches that are asleep in the light, and, you know, there's a debate are they really saved? I don't know. I think you can be a real Christian and not be as vigilant. I think you can be wrapped up in the cares of this life so you're not watching like you should. But I think all true Christians filled with the Holy Spirit have an idea that or a sense that the Lord is coming soon. Okay, and and because because we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ, the spirit of God is within us. And so he's kind of prodding us. He's kind of, you know, speaking to our hearts that, look, the signs of the, the signs are all around us that Jesus is coming soon. Stop being entangled with the cares of this life. You know, get serious about the Lord realize that this world is passing away. You don't want to have him come and be ashamed at his appearing, as John says some are going to be. Genuine Christians, who when he comes at the time of the rapture, they're they're going to be caught up with other pursuits. And he's going to take them because they're saved. But they're going to be ashamed that when they stand before him, they don't have anything really to show for their time on the earth. And so you don't want to be caught in that predicament. So... Uh, I just believe that this is a uh, a admonition to people on the earth at this time and, and to all of us, really. I mean, this little statement here by the Lord as he stops to just, you know, in the midst of this judgment to give this little word of encouragement and warning, I think this applies to every believer, but especially those at this time that we're studying about. Well, verse 16, these Demons, these frog-like spirits that go out into all the world to kind of use their miracles and their deceptive wonders to draw the kings of the earth and their armies uh, together for one last final battle. And they gathered them together to the place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. The name Armageddon comes from two Hebrew words, Har Megiddo. The word Har means hill. So uh, the hill of Megiddo. The word Megiddo literally means place of troops or place of slaughter.
0: You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day.